Welcome to Matter of Principles, a podcast from the Association of Washington School Principals. We've got some original podcasts in our feed. The podcast you're about to hear is the audio from an episode of AWSP TV, our talk show for principals. Make sure to tune in to our live episodes and catch all of our shows by subscribing to our YouTube channel. In the meantime, enjoy the audio from this episode of AWSP TV. Welcome and thanks for tuning in for another episode of AWSP TV. We are so excited to have in our studios today, Ben Ibale from WA. Ben is a good friend of mine and we've been doing a lot of work the last few years together and mm -hmm. um, I twist his arm to come join us in the studio today. Thanks for being here, Ben. Yeah, no problem. So Ben, why don't we start with what we're here for? Okay. So I told you we're gonna talk about culturally responsive school leadership. Mm -hmm. So let's just, our audience knows that's what we're gonna be talking about today, but before we get there, let's hear a little bit about your background, your journey. How did you end up here? Well, um, I'd have to say first thank you to my dad because uh, he joined the U.S. Coast Guard from the Philippines roughly right, right around 1970, 70, 71. And so that's my immigration story because I was born in 1970. And so, um, and he paved the way for us in White Center, Washington. So I was away from my father for five years and then my mother for a few years. And then I arrived in, Se in Seattle 1975 and so I was an ELL student and that's why the story of that journey starts because they didn't have ELL during that time period and so I ended up just going into elementary school, high, uh, middle school um, and high school at Burley Park, Cascade Middle School and Evergreen High School and that's kind of where I learned a great appreciation um, for English and the public school system and so I wanted to give it back because I saw things impact me negatively and I wanted to make some changes and so that's why I became a high school English teacher um, and I taught for about seven years in the Issaquah School District which was sharply different mm -hmm. from let's say White Center Evergreen High School and so that's where I truly understood um, that term social justice um, was just really coming to fruition the opportunity gap the achievement gap um, back in the early 90s uh, when I went to um, CLU for my master's of teaching, um, but I did get my undergrad from the University of Washington, hence the purple and gold. Um, you had to throw that in. Yeah, well, I'm surprised you aren't rep <laughs> repping your alma mater there, uh, Mr. Coog. Uh, so, um, but anyways, uh, so I ended up at CLU uh, for my master's of teaching, and uh, and then I went into um, Issaquah, but then I had an opportunity with the NEA um, through a internship. It was a Uniserve internship kind of a Uniserve director um, who represents a lot of the collective bargaining agreements uh, issues, um, bargaining, uh, grievances, and I ended up being in Seattle. And I was there for about six years as a Uniserve director um, for Seattle Education Association. And that's where my eyes really opened up on the issues of equity, social justice, because during that time there were probably about 115 different programs and buildings and there's a sharp difference, um, the same sharp difference between Issaquah and White Center as far as socioeconomics regionally was different. But here's you have one district where depending on north or south of the Ship Canal, you saw impact of resources, impact of um, kind of poverty, uh, um, quality of schools um, when it comes to uh, different support and resources. And so that's where I learned what it truly meant to understand the different cultures of each building. Because that's uh, the culture of the building, I truly believe, um, 
has the most significant impact and those who create the culture or abdicate the culture, um, that's where I saw um, kind of my work in trying to understand how, how can we shape that school culture and climate effectively with collaboration from SEA, um, the Seattle School District administration, and, uh, and the building leadership from all those different groups, including you know, your paraprofessionals, your certs, um, even your uh, bus drivers and custodian staff, and how they work collectively together because um, they already know how to function separately because they're just trying to survive and do the same daily work that they know how to do. But it's creating that culture where everybody's kind of on that same vision and that same understanding to put, you know, student learning and relationship building with students the priority. So that's kind of what I learned about coming in as an ELL student and coming in as a teacher and now working with um, creating professional development training around um, culturally responsive strategies, human civil rights, um, through WEA resources. Um, right, and here you are today, mm -hmm. representing the WEA, drinking out of that Kool-Aid, it was P-Mug, <laughs> um, partnering with us because, uh, I mean, think, let's just talk about the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. The system needs some healing. And Absolutely. we have to be willing to come together and have everyone put down their swords and shields or whatever you want and, and have a common purpose mm -hmm. um, and start collaborating around what's best for kids. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate you coming today to, to talk to us and we're hoping this is a video resource for people all across the state who are dealing with a culture mm -hmm. that's either super toxic mm -hmm. or incredibly positive or somewhere in the middle of that continuum. So mm -hmm. um, let's do it. All right. So let's start with uh, the first piece. When you think about the term culturally responsive. So in education, we're famous for our ed jargon. Mm -hmm. um, what would be a basic definition for somebody out there who's watching this, who's maybe heard that term and is like, oh, that must be a new buzzword. Um, what's culturally responsive mean? Well, for me, um, it's to understand the journey because it's so complicated because most folks try to have one definition and say, hey, I know what cultural competency means. It means to be multicultural. It means to have multicultural instruction and curriculum um, and adapting to the needs and cultures and backgrounds of my students. But to me, the best definition is kind of wrapped up in two things. One is there's a definition out there by um, Gary Howard. Uh, it says, the will and skill to create effective and authentic relationships across difference. Um, and so to me, the reason why it's, it's more of why. Why do you want to have a definition for a cultural competency? Well, the reason is you've got to have the will and skill to create effective and authentic relationships across differences. So it's basically, it's around the idea of building relationships. How do you do it effectively mm -hmm. a, across differences based off of sexual orientation, socioeconomics, um, gender, uh, ethnic, ethnicity, language, um, also uh, uh, your indigenous populations. So all these differences that you and I belong to, how do we become more effective across those differences? And so I love that definition because it gives you the why. Mm -hmm. But I, as far as how you get there, to me, how you get there is the framework around awareness, knowledge, skills, and advocacy. So that comes from um, Dr. Daryl Wing Sue and also my friend and colleague, um, Dr. Caprice Hollins, 
where first you have to be kind of self-aware um, and as a principal or an educator um, you have to be aware that when you enter a room there's an impact visually um, there's an impact both visually from you entering the room and you seeing who's in the room mm. um, based off of race based off of stereotypes based off of all the things in your mind that's created this world perspective so the idea of being aware of those things uh, is really critical if you're not aware of those social categories they're gonna have natural biases t towards um, especially as men um, then uh, you're starting off on the wrong foot and I, that's where you why you got to first start with awareness self-awareness um, where your biases come from um, your preferences right so more that you're aware about that the the more inclusive you are in understanding other Right, because then so that's awareness, self-awareness, because then the other piece is knowledge, and that is increasing knowledge of other, all those other social group categories that I just explained to you. Um, and so, as far as a principal leader or educator leader, you've got to know the cultures and backgrounds and movements in your region, so you understand why you have a Marshallese population in Spokane, um, why you have um, uh, Ukrainian populations in. Um, in, in this in Kent's or in, in Vancouver and all the immigration movements uh, so that you have a better understanding of what that student um, is exper potentially experiencing as an ELL student um, and so that knowledge of other right and so you put yourself in situations where you learn about other um, and then skills that's where you get the skills for whether it's PBIS um, whether it's uh, for my generation love and logic <laughs> <laughs> right, um, classroom discipline, um, because oftentimes uh, we jump to skills before we go through awareness and knowledge, because you, you want to focus on the technical skills of teaching. Um, in reality, you have to go first through awareness and knowledge, because last the last phase of that is advocacy. Advocacy is advocating for those that differ from you, right, and so um, that's when you can begin to advocate for that special needs student who has a student with autism, right, or that student that's going through trauma. How can you advocate when you don't have self-awareness of yourself and your impact on that social group category um, if you don't even have knowledge of that social group category, but yet you think you have the skills, right, to advocate for that student when you haven't gone through the awareness knowledge first. So to wrap it all up, just the idea that those are all choices you make. Those are daily choices um, to either have self-awareness, increase your knowledge of, of that student by putting yourself in experiences where you're gonna learn more and be more self-reflective, um, and then the skills necessary to be effective across those differences uh, in order to truly advocate. So if you saw as those four areas as, as choices for that you put yourself into those places where you're going to be more effective and, and increasing your awareness, your knowledge of other, the skills necessary to be effective across those differences, and then to be able to truly advocate. And because we all go into teaching um, thinking that we're advocates. Um, when I came out of um, Seattle University and University of Washington, I thought I was going to change the world. You know, I was going to, I was going to pick up the the star the starfish, and throw back each and uh, each one. Right. Mm -hmm. When in reality. What if that starfish wanted to stay in the sand? <laughs> and I'm just thinking, no, this is, the ocean is good for you right now. No, I just came from the ocean. I want to stay here. Um, so uh, to me, that's what it means to be culturally responsive, is to understand that journey, and that's ongoing, that it's never going to end, 
and there's going to be places of discomfort, and you have to go towards that discomfort, right? And so it's much more complex than just simply understanding, yeah, I'm culturally competent. Mm -hmm. Well, what a great definition to start us off. I mean, those are four huge buckets. Mm -hmm. So when you think about the changing demographics in our state, mm -hmm. our students' demographics are rapidly changing. Mm -hmm. The ranks of the teachers and principals, not so much, mm -hmm. especially the principal level. We still have a predominantly white population of uh, principals in the state. Mm -hmm. So when you think about your role in traveling all over the state and working in schools, you can walk through the front door of a school and feel the culture right away. You've probably seen good, bad, and ugly. Mm -hmm. And we believe that a principal sets the tone for a school through leadership and the culture that they uh, create. And most often, the culture they inherit mm -hmm. is, what they is what they begin working with. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the key role principals play in culturally responsive leadership. Mm -hmm. So. If you think about the research on the Wallace from the Wallace Foundation, that mm -hmm. we all know that teachers are the number one influence on student learning, highly effective teachers. Mm -hmm. The number two influence is a highly effective principal. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they've been watching so far, and they got one one great takeaway right out of the shoot: mm -hmm. look in the mirror first. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what would be the next step? Mm -hmm. um, so I think. The, that first step is definitely looking in the mirror, and I would reemphasize constant, that constant reflection, that constant understanding of yourself. Um, not just your, um, yes, race and ethnicity and language, but also style. Because your communication style, whether you're direct or, uh, or uh, you, you've got your different types of you know, personalities and leadership styles, um, if you have staff predominantly considerates, which a lot of our elementary school staff, um, from what we've done in PD, there's a lot of considerate staff, then analytical, and then you've also got the um, really engaging kind of extroverted staff too. But I think understanding that style is really important as part of that mm -hmm. awareness piece. Um, that knowledge piece is, I think, for brand new principals really critical, is fully understanding your staff. Um, and I understand that, you know, just like you have students that are carried over from one grade to another, you get intel on staff all the time um, coming in. I would encourage you to read that intel, but have a tabula rasa, slate, clean slate, and do one-on-ones. Um, as a union advocate um, and a union representative, um, we believe in one-on-one -on -one relationship building. Yeah. And so if you could take time to truly understand the why of every single staff member, um, uh, from the bus drivers to the food service providers to the custodial staff to the um, uh, to the front office desk to your SLPs to your nurses to your certs um, and all of the others, spend what five to ten minutes um, just getting to know the staff and understanding their strengths and their whys that's gonna paint a whole different picture because just like any, uh, you know, we're with the Seattle Seahawks, right? Go Hawks, right? You've got amazing staff there that have created a culture where that culture will eat anything for breakfast, mm -hmm. right? And that comes from Dr. Anthony Muhammad because um, if you have a toxic culture, that's gonna eat you for breakfast. Um, culture will out 
outlive you. So I think in order to change culture, you, it's not about top down. It's about relationship building. It's understanding the why. Why is it toxic? What has happened? Because I can tell you a lot of the toxic cultures are basically defensive responses to the bureaucracy and the constant um, lack of resources to the constant fear. Here's the greatest fear that I've seen um, over the past two years. The greatest fear of our, of our educators right now is the fear of failure. I have these kids that need me and I know they need me and I can't provide it. Mm -hmm. That's why they're overwhelmed with all these new initiatives and all these new demands and then you throw on top of that salaries. Um, my why disappears. Mm -hmm because then what replaces that is survival. Um, and so when you're in that constant um, imbalance, uh, there's a, there was a mindfulness study published in 2017-18 that said half of all teachers, 50% of all teachers and educators around the United States believe in this statement. And that statement is the disappointments and challenges and failures involved in this school aren't worth it. So if that is the culture of your staff because of what's been done unto it, because of the fear of failure and they see students failing and they don't know how to help them because of the constant overwhelming amount of expectations, you've created um, a failing public school system um, in multiple areas. Honestly, there are schools that are doing amazing um, and I can reference them very easily. Um, but as far as the overwhelming cultures um, that are out there that, that are really challenging, I think the greatest solution to that is to flip it and build those relationship pieces to combat the bureaucracy piece. So, that so starting over. Yes. So starting over with relationship building, one-on-ones, mm -hmm. focus groups. What are some other strategies for a principal that's watching this right now who maybe stepped into a toxic culture? Yeah. Um, to me, uh, one of the things to do is what you just said is that is to do some focus groups. Um, I think sharing focus group data, that's one thing that Dr. Elena Padish from the University of Washington and myself have been doing and measuring is understanding the culture and climate from, from two perspectives. One is from the community-based perspective and the other is from the student focus groups perspective um, where we just have conversations and record the conversations, transcribe them, and then share them with staff so that they can see the different perspectives um, around these issues and, 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 and opinions and thoughts about the challenges within, the, um, within that school culture and climate um, because then that's their data. It's not data that's coming from another place, another district, or from Washington, D.C., or for even Olympia. This is our students, this is what our community is saying, and this is what our staff is saying. So I think um, facilitating those opportunities um, because one of those things that, that I really want to emphasize is that the principal should help facilitate hope and resiliency with staff. Because we know that um, you know, the research out there around uh, the greatest predictor towards graduation is not a, a test score, but it's the resiliency of a student, the ability to get back up when they fall. Mm -hmm. So the only way to increase hope and resiliency in students is to actually build meaningful, caring adult relationships. So we know that that's a charge for our educators, for adults. But there's also research out there um, through the Gallup poll that says if you want teach student engagement, 
you've got to have teacher engagement. And how do they measure teacher engagement in that Gallup poll? There's two ways. One is uh, the support and loyalty to the employer. Mm -hmm. So basically the educator's loyalty and sense of support from their employer. Yeah. Number two is the depth of relationship with colleagues. So those are two huge things that we don't necessarily think about because we're in the, you know, trying to understand what it means to help the student learn. But the impact of that hope and resiliency coming from the adults in the building to each other and the relationships they're building and the depth of relationships and loyalty, um, that, those are the things that drive people out of buildings into other buildings and transfer. And so I think for me, as, an edu as a principal leader, facilitating hope and resiliency with your staff. That's your creativity, okay? Mm -hmm. Because here's the genius of it all. Um, the folks that do stay in education, because if half of all those teachers and educators say that, you know, it's not worth it, here are the ones that stay, according to that same research. Um, the ones that stay have two characteristics. One is openness and the other is curiosity. How are you, as a leader, helping create the openness and curiosity of your own staff, right? And how do you create that culture where, where staff can be creative in addressing these issues? And so to me, those are things that we, as leaders, have to help facilitate um, in order to create a better, better culture. So have you seen some good examples this year um, where we obviously had some fractured relationships out mm -hmm, there? Mm -hmm. And I would say everybody wants to heal Mm -hmm. and move forward. Have you seen some good examples of um, everyone coming together and saying, this isn't right, let's get back on the right tracks together and do this together? Yeah, um, there's actually some really good examples of that. And, w and the reason why I know about these examples is because we, we, ha uh, we have a $450,000 GPS grant to uh, provide uh, culturally responsive strategies around classroom management mm -hmm. um, and as, as a almost a, f uh, a free or low cost PD um, for Washington State. And so CRS, um, culturally responsive strategies. And so there's been three districts that um, we've worked collaboratively with. Um, one of them is Central Kitsap. Mm -hmm. um, and Central Kitsap, uh, you know, just like everybody else, they've had to bargain difficult um, contracts um, in order to create the best um, salary packages to keep our educators in the field. Um, and so one of the things that I've seen with them is that they have entrusted their leadership to collaborate freely with the association president and also the um, WEA. And so what's that created is a five-year plan, a five-year plan of uh, culturally responsive strategies um, district-wide. Um, and so we've got the school board behind us, we've got the new a transition, think about this, you had a transition from a a retiring superintendent to a new superintendent. Mm -hmm. um, you have the association there. Um, you have the HR department, the PD department that are co collaborating with you. And then you have your um, association staff um, and your classified personnel as well. So a five-year plan with all those groups at the, s at the table uh, creating something that will not just uh, you know check the box for cultural responsive strategies, but to truly create the culture. And what that's created is, now we have, we've got approximately seven um, trainers in that, in that school district that we have trained personally that are current members, like um, uh, in, as a training cadre. And they've gone and um, they're training equity teams 
in the district, district-wide, and we're also doing building by building. Mm. Um, so it's our first year, and I can tell you, it's, it's a model that we're going to have to really unpack because there's so many good things that are coming from it. Um, because you are, there's an empowerment of the staff to create equity teams, and I went to a meeting where they shared what they did based off of the trainings, that, the previous trainings that they received, including one of them was CRS, and they are now doing it on their own. And so, to me, um, that's the kind of collaboration, and here's, the, here's, a, here's a great learning. That district, um, along with Spokane and Prosser and soon-to-be Marysville, um, we're, we started the trainings first with principals. Because, like you said, principals are key. Um, we don't need to be perceived as a threat, and they don't need to be perceived as a threat to initiative and things. Because if we know what's right, and that is building meaningful, caring relationships with students, for the purpose of increasing hope and resiliency, uh, that's what we're trying to do. And so we actually train the principals and admin first so that they can kind of unpack it a little bit and filter it through their own initiatives, their PBIS, their AVID, so they, can, they see that this is not just another add-on, it's not another added stress, but it's another lens that actually makes the work that much more effective. And so I think that, to me, that's been a great collaboration mm -hmm. And that's, that's, it's starting to spread. Marysville and Spokane. Spokane's been doing it already. Right. Um, but there, it's a larger district, so um, there's a lot of different pieces that have to, we have literally um, probably around 20 trainers out there from their own Spokane Education Association. Um, and so we're gonna do district-wide, but it's gonna be building by building there. Marysville, we just um, met with them and uh, with their senior leadership and their association president. and. There's a lot of positive energy that they're, they're, they're gonna move forward from that. And so to me, that those are some clear strategies um, to implement uh, with intentionality and fidelity rather than just check the box. Wouldn't it be great if a system, if we built the system around our relationships, relationship building, wouldn't that be crazy? Like time was built in the day for us adults to engage with kids that way. Absolutely. Let's switch gears sure. uh, and talk about community. Mm -hmm. You know, principles, are evaluated on engaging the community. It's one mm -hmm. of the criteria. Mm -hmm. um, principals land in a new community they might not be familiar with. Mm -hmm. As you think about principal churn and all the leadership changes across the state, what are some key strategies that a principal could take to um, understand and become aware of their community and then ultimately engage at a deeper level and mm -hmm. an authentic level with their community? Sure. Um, I think just unpacking the term community a little bit, um, that's one way uh, back to that kind of that equity mindset and that culturally responsive strategies mindset is if you're waiting for the community to come to you, <laughs> yeah. um, you're going to get a certain community. You mean the open house night that yes. has 10% parents yes, come to? Yes, absolutely. And God bless them. I love the PTSA and I think they're, they're, it's an amazing organization. Uh, but not everybody participates on the PTSA. Um, not everybody feels comfortable representing themselves on the PTSA, but they feel comfortable attending, you know, the local community-based organization, the local faith-based uh, church or synagogue, right? Um, uh, the LGBTQ um, community groups, right? The advocacy groups. Um, I think our job is to understand the different community-based organizations and try to get that marginalized voice, especially at the table mm. um, because if we if we don't have that lens of equity um, to bring everybody to as much as everybody to the table 
um, from the different social group categories that, that are in your school, um, then we're missing an, a critical voice. Um, and so when we, what we mean by that then is to actually um, come up with some key themes that you want to uh, to address. Like for us, uh, again, Dr. Elaine Passion, myself, before we created the curriculum on cultural response strategies, we actually went out to five different um, community organiz communities around Washington State to get feedback on what does it mean to be to have cultural response to classroom management. So we went to Monroe, Washington, Spokane, Washington, uh, kind of Lakewood uh, area, Kent, um, and then kind of the Des Moines um, mm -hmm. uh, Pack Highway near Mid Midway Elementary School. So we just used that that um, to to hear what what communities had to say about about classroom discipline, and it was phenomenal. We learned so much. We 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 already had a curriculum, but we changed it um, uh, because we wanted to make sure that we built it with kind of a community perspective, and so we rebuilt it based off of their input. And so it was so much more relationship building. Um, versus just straight, again, we jump to skills first, mm -hmm. but we want to make sure that we figure out our own awareness and knowledge first. And so that, that takes that relationship building first. And so that's why um, the community's uh, really excited about that. Uh, I just met with uh, uh, Tacoma's um, NAACP uh, education director, um, Johnson um, is out there and also uh, uh, vibrant schools and I shared with them kind of the strategies of working with communities in the past and they were really excited about um, possibly um, you know partnering on that as well uh, on some of those strategies where you build around this, like you said you build around the relationships first it's like how do we do that um, and it, it can be done uh, it definitely can be done sweet great great strategies Mm -hmm. More importantly, great awareness. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> hey, you're learning. You're learning. Let's uh, pop over and talk about, and you've already talked about some of these things, but let's talk about the staffalty. It's a term mm -hmm. we like to use mm -hmm. uh, here at AWSP because mm -hmm. all the adults matter, and you've been hitting on this mm -hmm. throughout this uh, conversation, that mm -hmm. it's every single adult who interacts with kids is super mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. So. We like to just eliminate this whole staff versus faculty, so we just say staffalty. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, awareness is crucial. Mm -hmm. So I'm a principal. I step into a building. I've got 150 staff members. If you know I'm in a large high school, or I've got 30, and I'm uh, elementary and anywhere in between. Mm -hmm. um, where do I begin? Mm -hmm. You know, how do I? How do I help that teacher that's been teaching there for 30 years, who's maybe thinking about retirement, um, and I come in and start talking about being a culturally responsive teacher? Mm -hmm. Where do I begin? It, that's a really good question. Um, I can give you examples of some staff. I, I won't use names uh, just because I don't have permission. <laughs> uh, but don't worry, this isn't being recorded. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All just right. Kidding. Thanks. Appreciate that. <laughs> um, but I think as a leader, we want somebody that has a vision, a vision that we want to buy into. Mm. Um, because if you're just coming in and maintaining status quo, that's, that's, that's fine. But if you want a, us to bring out the best in ourselves and 
by creating a culture that we want part of. You know, to me, uh, that's where I would want to go, uh, is to a place that has effectively an effective leader. Somebody that has a vision um, that obviously has around uh, a focus around building relationships with students, right, for the purpose of increasing hope and resiliency and academic gains and learning, right, success. You know, I, I, to me, I would want that leader to define success more than just we need to increase these test scores. Mm -hmm. Okay, we need interventions that are specific to these um, uh, deficits that we see in our students and maybe even in your classroom, right? To me, that we all know that's that's there. I want to be able to believe in a leader that believes in me. And to me, if you believe in me, just like you're asking us to believe in our students, and when we believe in our students' ability to learn and succeed, and we say, I truly believe in you and you're authentic about it, that student's behavior changes. I honestly believe I've seen the same thing because we're humans, mm -hmm. where if you believe in me and you know that I have a gift and talent and you're going to put me in a place where I can succeed, um, you're going to utilize my talents and you're going to understand my talents and you're also going to understand my weaknesses. Because if we're all honest, we're all weak, we all have senses of, uh, we all have places of weaknesses. If you look at my desk, comparison to your desk, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's uh, how I structure things. That may, may be perceived as a weakness, but there's a huge strength that comes out of some of those imbalances. And so you're going to need to understand my strength and still believe in me that I have a place in your culture and your organization because you know the impact I have on kids, right? And to me, that's got to be the starting point because if you come in believing already in my deficits, and you treat me that way, we don't want that for our students. Why do we, why do we accept that for our adults? Yeah. It's great. We uh, preach to all of our principals, don't go in there with the attitude of you're only going to be there for a few years. Mm -hmm. We say have a five, ten year vision for your school or else the adults won't come with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think it's got, it can't just be also a, kind of a pie in the sky dream. Mm -mm. Right, I, I think um, it needs to be, you know, the whole idea of realistic goals and those kinds of things are important. Um, but I, again, I, I, uh, one of the, a good example is one particular principle um, that, I, that, that I've seen and, and spoken with staff about is that they said that this is the first principle they've seen with a vision and they're willing to kind of work through some of the climate issues um, that have happened in the past because they believe in this person's vision. Um, they have such a heart for students, uh, and and now we want to transition that that heart for students for a heart for staff, um, because their the vision is so clear, um, and people want to be part of it, but they also want to be included within that vision as well, and to help shape it for that student impact. Because everybody wants to have that 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 impact for that student. They want to buy into it, um, but you also have to buy into them. So. so if you were to say to an audience full of uh, principal prep mm. candidates, they're just coming out, they get their certificate this year, they're heading into their first year of potentially leading a building or an assistant principal, um, 
what advice would you give to them as far as how to enter in to, to begin making uh, those trust deposits, building the relationship, uh, and the vision piece? Because you don't want them to jump in and say, I've got a pie-in-the-sky vision, but mm -hmm. they have to start somewhere. What advice would you give them as they enter in? Well, I think, again, it's back to that same question of having that first conversation with staff, of getting to know the individual staff and what their own vision is and mm -hmm. what their own why is and their vision of, of their, when are they the most effective, right? Um, and find out those, um, those moments and, and then integrate those personal visions into kind of evaluating what is yours and how are you going to create a vision, a common vision for all of us um, that we believe in. Um, and so it's, it's getting to know um, kind of the, the needs of each individual staff, but also knowing their hidden talents as well, and then creating something that you know that they'll buy into, um, but bring them with you. So part of it is actually, you know, having authentic representation at that leadership level, where um, I've seen, um, you know, building leadership teams where um, they're very connected to the staff. Mm -hmm. um, and, and they truly represent the staff uh, voice and, and understanding. Um, and, and that can be like, you know, a, a very good um, culture and climate there. But I've also seen building leadership teams where they don't represent staff, where it's not as effective because there's a breakdown in the communication as far as who's at the leadership level and how it gets down to the, to the, um, to the other staff um, and, and how it's communicated. And so I think having um, representation of those different voices, of those, um, those well-respected voices from other colleagues is really, really important. And I think part of that is gauging um, who those leaders are in your building um, because sometimes the most effective leaders within the staff aren't the ones that are on that building leadership team, um, but they're the ones that people go to. So I think truly understanding who um, are the ones that represent the voices among the staff that, that will be able to get buy-in from the staff is really important um, to, to build those meaningful relationships with them. Awesome, shift gears again. Sure. <laughs> and not that uh, we're shifting gears to something that's not equally important, mm -hmm. but let's talk students. Mm -hmm. So just because they're last doesn't mean we're not prioritizing them here in our conversation, mm -hmm. but uh, what are some examples you've seen out there of tangible strategies that principals have used to connect with kids, whether you've seen firsthand or whether you've mm -hmm. uh, experienced yourself or, um, you know, it's so easy for a principal to just get bogged down sure. in the ad administration of the building that, you know, we constantly encourage connecting with kids. Yeah. So what are you seeing? Well, I'm glad you asked that because um, that's one of, the, one of the strategies that I think I, wanna sh I forgot to share was celebrating the successes. Um, I can guarantee that there are strategies implementing every single day, events every single day in, every, in, in classrooms all around Washington State that are literally closing the opportunity and achievement gaps. Mm -hmm. We don't publicize it enough. Um, and so what we're doing is actually going and recording some of those um, events that are happening. And I, can, I, I went to a, um, a classroom um, of one of our trainers, Monacy uh, Cedar Green, and over in Puyallup, and I watched a group of uh, first graders. Um, oh, gosh dang it, was it third, 
Well, anyways, it was, it was primary. I think it was first grade. They ran their own classroom meeting. Okay, here it is, uh, April, and, these, and she's invested time um, for the students to actually create classroom meetings for the purpose of helping them problem solve their own issues together. And she takes about 15 minutes each day. So I got to go out there and just record and watch, mm. and I was blown away. Um, they had two facilitators um, that prompted, uh, you know, what are some, um, some shout-outs of, of thank, uh, of just kind of shout-outs of positivity that they've seen, and people were thanking, and it's called an appreciation circle, so they were sharing appreciation to other students. So seeing a first grader learn and, sh and, and appreciate somebody else's behavior and being shared around the table Right, and the and the ed staff are there too, around, um, and they're the ones that are kind of receiving the the, the praise. Uh, and then they went on to more importantly, I think, not only the appreciation, but one young woman um, raised her hand when it was time to um, talk about issues and problems that they might have seen that they want resolved. And this young um, Asian um, girl said, uh, "People, uh, when we were in our reading um, lit groups." People weren't listening to what I was saying. They were interrupting. So I couldn't finish my story. And, and so then the facilitator said, okay, that's great. Is this something that you just wanted to share or are you asking for feedback or for solution? First grade. Hmm. And she said solution. So immediately hands went up. So you had all these students, <laughs> uh, about three or four students shared specific things by saying, one person said, one young person said, you should tell them, excuse me, but I wasn't finished yet, and I feel like you're not listening. So I want to finish my story. So just being direct with them. And I was just like, wow. And response after response, and then she got, so then the facilitator said, which one do you want to try to do this week? Well, I want to try to do that one. Okay, great. Uh, let's role play. So can I get a volunteer? So both of them stood up in the middle, and they, they, uh, they role played what she would say. And to everything, I almost felt like it was scripted, but it was totally natural, and they walked away with a solution. And then, she, and then the facilitator at the end said, okay, we will check on you uh, in the next week, see how things are going. Blew my mind, and that was 15 minutes. That 15 minutes um, of time invested each day at elementary or, uh, or at the middle school, it's 15 minutes at, at the end of the week or even at a high school that we've seen, um, to me, that was a really amazing strategy of building meaningful relationships with students. But not only teacher to student, but student to student relationships. And so as a principal, um, we actually talked to the principal afterwards, um, and she basically has really promoted that strategy and also has allowed visitations in that classrooms. Um, it's not and, and I'm, I'm, I want to be cautious about being uh, mandating it. Right. I think the idea of us facilitating opportunities to experiment in a safe space to where our colleagues can learn from that, to me, that, that's something that's, that we're missing. That it's, you should be, feel good about taking a risk and learning from both the successes and also the failures of it and facilitating an opportunity um, to, to, uh, to experiment and, and, and try new things. To me, it, that principle is, is representing the kind of leadership um, that, that they are doing behind the scenes yeah. rather than you know, <laughs> saying, hey, we're told you have to do this, this is the way you do it, versus, hey, let's, let's try to pilot it. 
let's and W Hayes is going to record it, right? And we're going to promote it uh, in that manner. And so, to me, as a principal, building the student-student relationships is as effective as the teacher-to-student relationships. Um, and so, utilizing those students that already have kind of social, strong social-emotional learning skills. Um, and, and giving them opportunities to share with students that may be struggling on social emotional learning because that's going to help the overall culture um, because that's being promoted top down and believing in all students, believing that all kids are capable of success, no exceptions, right? If that's being promoted from the top and it's being promoted to the staff member, that staff member is going to actually promote it to the students and you watch the student student relationships grow from that. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot. Sure. You've got your school walkie-talkie. You're the principal. Mm -hmm. Secretary comes over the radio and says, hey, Ben, we don't have a substitute down in so-and-so's room. Mm -hmm. uh, we need you to go there right there right now to cover the class. Mm -hmm. So you are now walking to the class, preparing your lesson plan in your head of how you're going to engage with kids. Mm -hmm. I used to look at that as an awesome opportunity. Absolutely. So what would you do the moment you walked in that room, Ben? Well, uh, I think the moment that I would walk in and I was asked, I would probably gay, uh, just do a quick um, uh, assessment of you know where they're where they are in their school day as far as is, are they in the middle of a lesson plan or what's going on. Um, uh, but then I would somehow make sure that we would get ourselves into a conversation and and and, and if they're doing classroom meetings, I would say, hey, we're going to do a quick classroom meeting today. And I want to see how things are going, right? Um, or, or, um, and and basically, if I was at the high school, because that's kind of where I'm, my comfort level is, um, I'd want to gauge this as a focus group, as you know, hey, here's an opportunity from the principal. I want to hear from you. Um, the strategy of um, these meetings happen all the time in our schools, uh, in the classrooms. But if a principal went out and kind of truly gauged on what are some, you know, what's going really well for you. And what's not? And I'd, I'd maybe I'd break them up into groups of three, so you don't get that silent death yeah. <laughs> kind of in a round group. I'm thinking I'm thinking of 16 to 18 year olds. Mm -hmm. um, but if they did in small groups, say, hey, what, what's working for you at our school, and what's not? Um, and then collect that information as vital data that whether to gauge, um, uh, you know, your current climate and what you need to, to improve it. And then have them share with each other, and then do a, a quick, uh, uh, you know, jotting it down. Say, thank. I just thank you for your honesty. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that we need to know because I did not know. So it's a, it's a part of it is again back to that cultural response, uh, the culture competency piece of awareness and knowledge. It's like you don't go in there assuming you know what to do for the kids, right? We want to get garner them their perspectives, their marginalized perspectives, because that's what we've been doing, and it's been phenomenal. We just went to Edmonds Woodway High School and just recorded students' responses to um, the culture and climate, and they're going to share that with their staff. Remarkable. I mean, they are the greatest observers of our bureaucracy. Yeah. They're the greatest uh, observers of the lack of hope that's in our schools um, from their perspective. And we all have all the best intentions of increasing hope and resilience in our kids and their, their faith in, in having a future after high school but we don't necessarily listen to their feedback about what we're trying to build for them. So I think as a principal, we need to know that because then we can share that with the staff and say, this is our why. Well, I've heard all the whys that you have, and I, I, that's awesome, but there's a disconnect with your why 
and what the students are feeling and seeing. How do we bridge that together? Where's your creativity? Let's focus on your creativity and that. curiosity to, to bridge yeah. that. Okay, we're almost there, time-wise. All, right. All right. So two last quick things. I just want to speed round with mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. If I asked you to throw into the camera um, some of the best resources that you've seen out there uh, for somebody to engage at an entry level or take their learning deeper mm -hmm. around becoming a culturally responsive leader, um, rattle off some of those resources. You don't have to go into descriptions of them. Just, oh, sure. just rattle them off so that people watching this video can go jump into Google. Well, um, I'll, I'll, I'll do a couple shout outs to our own PD network. So the WAPD network, um, we have um, professional development training around um, some very effective um, areas. One is a special education, one is um, evaluation, one is culturally responsive strategies, which, uh, which is my department. Um, we have one in, um, uh, let's see, national boards. Um, so those are resources as a leader mm -hmm. I'd want to know about because they are accessible through the association to bring into your school. Um, and so if you have questions about that's, that, that's, that's an amazing resource. The other newest resource that I would actually um, emphasize, um, we've got one person that we just brought in. His name is Dr. Anthony Muhammad. And he came in and just blew our socks off at our last uh, teaching equity conference. Our teaching equity conference is um, yearly at, in April, um, and that's a resource as well, uh, where you can bring in teams. And we have usually we have about 250 people, 350, 300 plus people show up, um, and we're really trying to focus on how do we create that culture and climate in your building. And Dr. Anthony Muhammad has a new book on change, mm -hmm. and it's uh, it's a very uh, eye-opening perspective. He, he shared bits and pieces of it during his one and a half hour keynote. Um, and so I'm looking at that as a resource because I think he's doing it right. Uh, I, think, I think what he talks about is um, we focus so much on the skill and technique, um, but the opposite of that is culture. Uh, that we gotta focus on the cu culture and how we, how we, the metaphor for that is, um, you know, the, it's the seed. Like yeah. we focus so much on the seed, the technical skill of the seed, like we want that seed to grow, but as important is what about the soil? You know, where's this, how, what's the soil? Will this seed ever grow in this kind of soil? Right. So we got to cultivate that soil in order for true change to occur. Um, and so we're, that soil is your staff culture, that is your building culture. Um, and we're so focused on, you know, let's buy, buy the next iPad, let's buy the next program, let's buy this and that and invest in these seeds. But if you're not dealing with the soil of it, then, then um, it's, that seed's not going to grow. So I think that's a great, um, hit, hit, that, that book, it's called Change. Um, Dr. Anthony Muhammad is another yeah, it's uh, great, valuable resource. Great resource. So, so. And you and I have talked before about, wouldn't it be great if that was a teaching and leading equity yes. uh, conference and AWSP and WA did hey, that together? We, 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 Just planting seeds. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I, I see some opportunities <laughs> there as well. All right, last question yep. for you, and then we'll get you out of here. Mm -hmm. Nobody comes into the studio without this question. And it is, can you think of a favorite principle when you look back through your K-12 experience, mm -hmm. a favorite principle in your life, uh, who that was, and, and why they stand out to you? Okay. Um, I was at Cascade Middle School. Uh, he was a middle school associate principal, vice principal. Uh, his name was Mr. Priest. And... 
he was a little balding on the top, like many of our, <laughs> our, our uh, of our principals. Um, <laughs> and we were taught to, you know, fear our principals. Uh, as, as a young immigrant, you know, you, you respect your administrators, you just listen to what they say, and, and you just follow the rules and so on. Well, when I went to Cascade, Mr. Priest was, always had a smile on his face. He was always warm and friendly and just kind of jovial and kind of, he was uplifting. Um, and that I'd never seen before. And so it's like, what? You mean administrators actually have a sense of, of, of joy? Uh, and, and that was my first, you know, he broke the mold of my previous elementary school principal who was just all this and we just followed the rules and it was fear-based and things like that. I almost got a SWAT in that, in that school, uh, <laughs> back when SWATs were, you know, legal. Um, uh, but Mr. Priest, and I wanted to follow the rules because I wanted him to smile, not because of the punishment. Right on. I wanted him to smile, and so that's that's a different type of relational um, uh, strategy, I guess, to to wanting students to follow rules, is to you engage them, you make them smile, and I think I prefer that even to this day. Right on. Well, Ben, we can't thank you enough for coming today. Mm -hmm. You know, as you were listing off those resources, mm -hmm. um, you were humble not to say Ben Ibale is a great resource. So you know, I'm hoping yes. principals reach out to you as somebody that can come work with you mm -hmm. on developing that culture that's ideal for uh, our schools. So yes. thank you for your work at WA. Thank you for your work across the state. Mm -hmm. Thank you for work with Kids at Hope mm -hmm. and the impact you're having there. And uh, let's keep partnering. All right. Thanks. That's it from all of us here at uh, AWSP TV Studios. Benny Bali from WA, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. To catch all of our episodes, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can watch AWSB TV and our other great video content. If you have ideas for guests or topics you'd like to hear about, shoot me an email at david at awsp.org. We'll do our best to make it happen. On behalf for all of us at AWSP, we hope you tune in again. Keep up the great work for kids, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>